Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for LSJ, joined by free beat writer Chris Solari and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch. Gentlemen, it has been quite a while since we have last convened. I think it's been three weeks since we have last recorded a podcast with the three of us, and oh man, so much has happened with Michigan State basketball in that time frame. It's been crazy, and it's a, a slow, well, maybe not slow, maybe a fast downhill downhill trek to the bottom of the Big Ten for the Spartans. It has been, boy, this has been a season unlike any other so far. I mean, it was unlike any other before three weeks ago when we last recorded, but it's really gotten worse since then. It's a heck of an introduction, Phil. Thank you. Uh, yes. Yes. It's, I mean, no, and, and it, yeah, you're right. You're right in both accounts that it was a year like any other, and, and they're now at a point where, um, I mean, they're four and nine in the Big Ten, and that's, that's something they haven't dealt with, and they're on – not even close to the bubble and, and probably don't have a path uh, to the NCAA tournament that's realistic in any way. Because the thing people need to remember about the conference tournament is where they're right, where they are right now, unless they really make up ground and Maryland's schedule at the end is pretty easy. So it's going to be hard to make up ground. They're going to play on that Wednesday. And so they would have to win five games in five days. And people just don't do that. It's hard enough to do four and four and have any legs at the end. Uh, and let alone the teams they just can't beat. Um, so, yeah, th- this looks like uh, the, the streak is over. Yeah, yeah, and not to mention the fact that those uh, those games in, in the early part of the conference tournament aren't going to really, no matter how deep you want to say the conference is, they're not going to boost your RPI all that much and aren't going to boost your net score all that much uh, compared to uh, you know, getting the Ohio State. I mean, this stretch right here is essentially it. I, I still think there is a lifeline, but it is, I, I mean, it is a very, very faint pulse. I mean, you basically have to almost win, I would say, five, four games to get on the bubble conversation, five to be on the other side of that bubble, and basically six or seven to, to maybe get yourself uh, at the inside track um, because I mean, you've got enough chances with, with Ohio state two against Michigan, um, you know, and, and one against Illinois. I mean, there's, there's some highly ranked teams in, in the net rankings that can boost you for quad one wins, but then it's the big, but we've seen how this team has played. There, yeah. I mean, there's no one in the right mind that thinks that it can be done. I I'm just saying there's a feasible possibility of it. Well, right. I mean, there, yeah, I mean, and we both pointed this out in the stuff we wrote after the game. I mean, Izzo was, I thought, was really illuminating and and, and resigned in, in the way he just talked about they're just not good enough. Other teams are better than them, which you don't hear because until this point it had been, well, if they can get this going, if they can do this, if they can get this player, maybe this, you, you pull Rocket Watts into something new or whatever. And this was the moment where you, it's like, this is who they are. They're not that good. Other teams are better. And the, the, the matchups coming up are just uh, – I mean, Indiana's as dysfunctional as Michigan State. They got the two wins against Iowa, but they're they're ugly to watch. The um, but when you when you talk about the matchups of who Illinois is, and you know when you talk about playing Michigan once, maybe twice, uh, and Ohio State again, uh, they got Ohio State again, right? Yeah. Um, they, these are I mean these are games they're just not going to win based on who they are, and there's just no way they're going to become anything different. I think that's the that's the thing we, we we know now, and so it becomes the conversation starts to become a bit of an obituary and a bit moving forward on why this happened, how it happened, uh, where the program is, and, and 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 what happens next. And I think that's where the conversation goes. And even Izzo is willing to talk about that. Yeah, I mean those matchups too. I mean, you know, what what are the, what do those teams have that are in front of them? I mean, good big men. There's some there's some good big men that they still have to play. Um, there's still good guards that they have to play that they've struggled with at times attacking north and south. Been good on the perimeter, but you've seen bad help side defense. You've seen guards get blown by. 
Um, there's there. I mean, Purdue just took them to the task. I mean, it was it was incredible watching Purdue attack them with, with and that's not even Io. That's not the Sunu, right? I but mean, I, but I would also argue this, Chris, that. I mean, there is there is something to the you know, and I wrote about this a little bit. This the timing. Like I really, I was trying to look at other teams, and and there are I have blind spots in sort of my Michigan State history because I wasn't around in the late two thousands. I mean, I, I remember those teams, but not intimately, right? But of the teams that I have covered closely, the two thousand sixteen seventeen team is, I don't think, is better than this team. I mean, I remember we watched that team a lot. That team went 10-8 and eight in a really bad Big Ten. You look at who was at the top of that Big Ten. They had Purdue won it at 15-3. and three. After that, it was a lot of ugh. And, and, like, that team squeaked in and won a game with Kenny Goins platooning at center, Tum Tum Nairn a lot at point guard. And there are things about this team I like better. Now, this team has been beaten down so much and with the COVID stuff and lost so much more of their confidence is in a worse place than that team. But if you were to – take those two teams fresh and play 10 times, this team isn't any worse. I think this team might get into the tournament if they played in that Big Ten. I think that team might have been four and nine with his confidence shattered with all those freshmen and the, the, they had, you know, they were playing Kenny Goins again half the time at center against these bigs. They were lucky the Big Ten was what it was back then. So, th- I mean, there are some, some parts where uh, th- there has been some bad luck in terms of the timing of this year. That said, that's what makes the streak so incredible, Chris, right, is the fact that Everybody along the way, somewhere in the last two decades, has an injury that doesn't help them, has a you know has something go wrong, and that often is why you don't make it every single year. And Michigan State has. Yeah, but you look at that 16, 17 year. What does that team have that this team doesn't? A future first round pick. Yeah, but he was Miles. benching. He was benching his. Oh, you're talking about Miles Bridges. Yeah, but Miles. Yeah. Miles that, that, that affects a lot of things. That affects the, the way that other teams are going to check you too. I'll that takes a lot of attention away to guard Miles Bridges to allow someone like an Aaron Harris to have a big game, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's listen. That's this. This team doesn't have anybody like that. Aaron, I'm, Her- okay. Aaron Henry. Uh, I almost did an Izzo there and mixed them yeah. up. Aaron Henry is a good player, but he's not a focal point guy. He's, he's not. He's a guy that makes other guys around him better. He's not a guy looking to score 25, 30 a game. So two things on that point. One is I would I would argue. And I'm not arguing that that um, that Henry is is who um, that is who Miles Bridges became as as a, as a sophomore, as a pro, or whatever like that. But I would say Miles Bridges is a freshman. His stats were a little bit better than than what Henry's are. But Miles Bridges, what Henry does better than Bridges, neither one of them was a great ball handler. And I think Henry sees the game better than Bridges. And so even though Bridges was a focal point, he was not somebody who who saw? I, I would argue that that Henry does some things, and, and it, it what? Okay, you, but who's around him? I mean, listen, listen, Alvin Ellis. Okay, who's this team's Alvin Ellis? Who's this team's Nick Ford? I mean, this, this team, team doesn't have Alvin Ellis. Yeah, you know? I, I, I just think those guys were freshmen, and 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 also the one thing that team had that maybe this team should have tried to do was you had a Miles um, Bridges at the four. And we, we, Miles Bridges at the four was a little undersized. That whole team was undersized. But Miles Bridges at the four was a better fit in college than he ever was at the three. And and I'm there's a part of me that thinks you had to run this back. If you told Izzo, gun to your head, you got to make the NCAA tournament. It's December one. Knowing everything you know, what are you going to do? How are you going to make this work? And uh, things that are going to go wrong. He would have done a couple things. One, he would have said, screw it. Um, Rocket Watch, you are the point guard, the lead guard. Stop watching film of Cassius Winston. You're not that guy. If you're going to watch any film, watch a guy like Kalen Lucas or something. And, yeah. and, just be, and just be you. And we will deal with it. And you're going to play 30 minutes a game. And we will, we will figure out what that team looks like. And I also think he might have said, boy, we've got to go small. And that means when you go small, the, the problem with going small with uh, – Joey Hauser at the five and Malik Hall at the four is you don't give yourself any advantage. Malik Hall offensively right now doesn't give you any advantage. You, the whole point of going small is to make it difficult for other people to but, guard you. But and that was Watson Hauser. I mean, listen, that? I mean, 
let's do, do Watson Hauser. I mean, they're missing shots. They're missing open looks. This is the problem. This, I mean, you can talk all you want about that, but when when two of your, your your primary one two options that you thought coming into the year are averaging about five points a game between them in Big Ten play outside of maybe the Hauser big game against Wisconsin, that's your problems. Those are those are every bit as big of a problem as not having a point guard and not having a five. I mean, but part of it, part of not having a point guard, and this is this is why he's gone with lawyer. And he made the comment today about lawyer being, you know, his best guy for getting guys involved and whatever. It's true. And, and th- this is part of the problem is guy and what people, you know, we all know a lot of the listeners who are listening to this would love to see Foster Lawyer on a different roster next year. They love to see Thomas Kithier on a different roster next year. They don't want, they don't like what they see now. But where I would push back is, and and this is a hard thing to. To, this is it speaks more to the point guard position in general. The one thing Lawyer does is he's the best of the guys they have at getting the ball to the guy when they need it, shooting pocket when they expect it, and that really matters for shooting confidence. I think that's part of the shooting woes. Not Rocket Watts is a different deal. I think he's just a mess. He needs an offseason deconstruct his game. He tried to be something he wasn't. They they pulled him out, pulled him in. He lost confidence. The whole thing's gone awry. I think with Hauser though. Like if Hauser had played with Winston, I think we would think totally different of him. You know, he would be like uh, catching the shooting pocket, the right spots, had a big year as a pick and pop guy. Um, I, 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 I think which still, doesn't, which still doesn't make up for his, him on the defensive end right now. Lawyer or Hauser? Either, really, right. quite honestly. No. I mean, listen, I mean, as, as much as people dog Foster Lawyer for his size limitations, Joey Hauser has been MIA on health defense all yeah. year. All and year. I'm, and the thing about Hauser, too, and we knew this, and we talked about, like, if you watched Marquette with Hauser as a freshman, they looked a lot like Iowa as they faded down the stretch. And Hauser's, the Hausers had a lot to do with them looking like a Fran fade in February in terms of their defense. They were not defensive guys. And the problem for Michigan State isn't Joey Hauser. Well, it is a little bit. But it's also that you don't have Xavier Tillman behind him or anybody who can can make up for that or, or help you if, if – you know, if, if you've got guys who are MIA behind him or not, that, you know, that, that, that there are a lot of things that have gone wrong. Um, and, and the problem is, I think, the whole year they've been le- looking for little answers and they'll find them for a minute. And there are very few games to me where you have to almost coach the game perfectly. Penn State's a good example. Uh, Foster Lawyer, I thought they did a good job against Penn State of using him when he was helping you. I like him out of the gate because he gets guys involved, right? He gets guys in confidence. But you have to recognize when he's starting to kill you defensively. And there was a point in that game in the second half where that was very clear, and they got him out. And I think that – now, some of that was the shoulder in that game because I think that's when he actually heard it for the first time. He, if I'm correct. Heard it, he heard it against Nebraska and then aggravated it in that game. In that game. Diving for the ball. Yeah, so, I mean, some of it was the shoulder, but they stumbled into the perfect timing with that. And there have been very few moments where they've run into a five-minute stretch of a great lineup and really rode that lineup. I think it's a – Hard thing to do with this team, and they haven't done it that well. But but look at what you're talking. Which game are you talking about? Penn State. That's exactly the problem. You're you're trying to compare a Michigan State team that has been to how many Final Fours under Izzo? Eight, seven, and a, a team that was at the in the top four in the country in November and December to a Penn State team to what you're seeing against the Penn State team. That's not going to translate against Iowa. That's not going to translate against. Michigan. That's not going to translate against the best teams in the Big Ten because the players are significantly better. And not this and, year, but Penn State. Penn State should have beaten Ohio State. They that's lost what we're talking about. I mean, we they, are talking about this year, Graham. And that's listen. But, there's uh, what I've seen is there are a lot of mismatched parts. I think there are there are guys that don't fit next to each other. I think that's one thing. And then you have and a lot of that's built in the off season. I do agree with Izzo on that. But I, I also think that. You, you're seeing the biggest absence here of, of a team that didn't maybe did not expect Xavier Tillman to play his way into the NBA draft because put, a, put Xavier Tillman at the five, a lot of things change with this team because you get the vision of the passing. You get the defense. You get the shot-blocking ability. More importantly, you get the help-side defense. And those are a lot of things that are missing. There's no there – as much as we talk about Winston, okay – there hasn't been even close to a player that looks like they could replace Xavier Tillman with all of those things, especially in a year when there are so many good big men in the Big Ten. Um, you know, you you look at every every team 
in the conference pretty much, maybe with the exception of Ohio State, has a guy where you can look at and say, that's a matchup nightmare for Michigan State right now in, in the post. And how many times have you ever said that with a Tom Izzo team? That's a physical brawler team that if you watch them start to finish in a year, setting screens and Ding up and and laying into a guy in the post to push them out. You don't have one guy like that right now. The closest is Marble, and he's been sporadic, and his minutes have been sporadic. So you can say some of it's him, some of it's coaching staff not getting him in more. Some and and Sissoko at times shows flashes, but you can also see very easily how raw he is, and and that's who you're pinning your hopes on. No, yeah, it, it is. There there are, there are a lot of issues. It was. You know, what's funny is you go back to the Duke game and and because I do think Michigan State was legitimately good against Notre Dame and Duke. You know, like I don't think that was just well, how bad they were. Bad. That, that's where we, we, we come into that same argument where who are we comparing them with? Well, well, but what I'm saying is they were legitimately if, – if those teams had shown up all year. But what was different about those teams? And, and the, the, the key guy to the season, like if you look at Michigan State every night out, it's the other team they've got to react to, right? They don't have a guy. They don't have a dude. They don't have AO. They don't have. They don't even. Uh, they don't have a um, uh, a Coburn. They, they don't, don't have a Darzel. Alvin Ellis. What's that? They what? don't even have Alvin Ellis. They do have Alvin Ellis, but they. But what? It, but the the the, the ultimate the, every, Travion Williams, right? Every other team's got the star that you have to react to. Michigan State doesn't have a guy that really presents you problems. The one guy that might have was the guy that Shishesky said that's the guy that makes them different. And he was the guy who had the 20-point game against Duke, and that was Rocket Watts. They needed him to have the season it looked like he was going to have. And I think that is sort of um, the, the, the regret of the season. If you're going to find a place, was at some point to realize that guy has got to be it. And so you got to ride him till he finds it. With, but 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 the problem is also there's been no sign that he was going to do it. I mean, Watts has just been really, really bad. And it's not just in the missed shots it's in the decision making he is so predictable that he's going to fade away and shoot a three instead of drive to the rim he, he he's become uh what's in his head right now i have no idea because at the end of last year he had gotten really good at making uh i thought uh, making good decisions uh, my argument to that is it took two games of of film on rocket watts running the point for teams to adjust to him Two games. He had the, the Duke game and the Detroit game. And even in the Detroit game, he struggled at times, right? He comes back. He has 10 against Western and struggles. He has nine against Oakland. He has, he's had one double-digit game since the Western game. And that was 11 against Rutgers in that first win. And I believe a lot of those points came late, much like last year at Purdue. I mean, that there's never been a moment. He, he is... He's very, I would say, there there are a lot of traits that you could see with uh, Vinny Johnson, the microwave, with him. When he hits shots, he builds confidence. But what I've seen is when he does hit the shots, it's usually late in games after there's been a lead established. I haven't seen him be an aggressor in a, in a close game situation or in a game that you really needed him to be outside of that Duke game. Um, and, and the other thing with that is that I I just don't see the decision making like you said, but more than importantly, he looks lost. He looks lost on offensive and defensive sets. So so and let, like let, he, like if you got to be a point guard, you got to know the offense. You got to know, and this is what Tom Izzo said about Foster Lawyer. He knows where other guys are supposed to be. Rocket Watts is a is a two guard. He's a two guard who's worried about getting his. There's two, those those are different worlds. And if you can't make the mindset adjustment. Then you got a big problem, and you can't be a point guard, right? And no, and and, and yeah, yeah, again, he, he he could he have been a lead guard? Who knows? Uh, this year, it's obviously not going to happen. I think the, the the question now for for them is is sort of spinning it forward. I think that everybody has come to terms with the reality of this year, and the the 2018 class hasn't developed. At least three of the guys are below expectations. Kithier is about what they thought they were recruiting because he was better than they thought initially. Um, and Aaron Henry, if anybody had said he's a, um, you know, 14 and five guy doing what he's doing as a junior, people would have been fine with that as a recruit. The rest of them have not played to what they hoped they'd be. And so when you start to look at next year and you start to look at this program, I mean, I, I think they've got a great potential two way point guard who will still be a freshman, but athletically different than they've had in Jaden Akins. 
You've got Max Christie, who's a 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", depending on who you talk about, shooter, who comes in and gives them shooting right away. Um, and, and it varies to what, you know, I, some people think he's a one-and-done. I People who see him a lot think he's a three-, four-year guy. Um, the I've heard possibly at least two years, just uh, along with not just the game itself, but also because of, of his family's commitment to academics. Well, and his brother, if he wants to come, is I think two years behind him. The other, the other thing too is with him is that you know, if, one of the guy I was talking to one of the guys who covers him quite a bit the other day, and he was, you know, he says as a shooter, he's like never off, like he's not streaky, he's hot all the time. But as a ball handler, as um, he hasn't had, he hasn't played great competition in AAU or high school where guys are really get into him. Um, he, he thinks he's a three or four year guy, um, but we'll see. I also, I think Pierre Brooks is, is, is fits what Izzo wants. Shooter, tough, built like a 25-year-old already. So well, Pierre Brooks looks like a guy who is a, a true combo guard who can run an offense, go north and south, but also step out and hit and try and get his. And, and so next year, I think what you've done in terms of reinforcements in your backcourt wing area is terrific. You can't ask for much more. That's a great class. Now, obviously, uh, with, with Enoch Biake, if I pronounced that right, God help me, um, but I don't have to learn now because he decommitted. Um, the decommitting, and I don't know if he would have reclassified. I think he wanted to. What you're probably going to have in, in the interior, though, is what you have now. And that's where it becomes a little interesting. I, so there, all of a sudden, I think there should be great interest in how these bigs develop and how many of them stick around and who. And um, I, I, I think that's, you know, and... and we talked about Sissoko being raw. Like, there's a guy that needs an off season there with, you know, and 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 uh, Marble is a guy. Yeah, that- he did miss half his senior year or more with that broken hand he suffered on his recruiting trip to BYU, I believe. Yeah, and then he had COVID this year when he was starting to play more. So, they're, they're, you know, I don't think they've handled it too raw. I thought he should have got a, a, a stint in the second half the other night, but they haven't handled him too poorly. I, Marble is the one who's frustrating to me because – and I know Marble has had a brutal year too with it with it, with his Terrible. dad and, and and Izzo said you know he doesn't look as maybe as intense and into it as he as he has in other times and, and you know what these kids are going through I um, you know we don't know and you and I don't know like we normally would that's the other thing that's different this year Chris in a normal year you and I have a, a, an open practice we're at before every game mm-hmm. we have conversations with assistants and players in the locker room and before games. Uh, these practices all the time. And so even things we don't report, we have a good feel for. And I'll give you a great example of why this matters. And this is this goes back, this will be my, if anybody drinks to the Kalamazoo references, this goes back to them. There was a kid years ago when I was covering Western who was a point guard from Detroit. He was having a rough freshman year, wasn't that well, and people were calling him a bust. And I learned that his little brother was it just died of sickle cell, I think it was, or uh, I can't remember the exact things. And it, he was, you know, his, their, their ages were like 17 years apart. Um, and his mother was back. I mean, he was just, just unfocused in a cloud. He was not ready to tell that story. Uh, but it did change the way I talked about him and covered him that freshman year. We told the story later. But that happens with some of these kids. You, you learn something. You get a feel from an assistant or somebody that this is, you know, this guy is going through this. This is. And we, so there's all that other stuff that this year we are less informed probably than we would be in a normal year. And so we don't know what's going on. Um, but that said, with Marble, I, he's a guy I think, I, you know, I, he is the guy who's the most in the mold of an Izzo dude. He's got quick feet. He's got a forearm that he wants to, you know, put into your back. I, I think he's a guy they should have played more. Um, but but I also agree that none of these guys have really risen to the challenge of that position in this league this year. Yeah, and this also comes into play, too, is how much have they been given that chance? I mean, you know, Izzo has had a little bit of a quick trigger with some guys. I don't feel like he's given anybody on the five long extended runs, except maybe Marble at Duke. Um, and Who played Marble great at <laughs> Marble at Purdue. And I think there was maybe a couple games where Bingham got a little more. I mean, make, yeah. Bingham paid less than three minutes. That was insane. Purdue because he was a walking foul. <laughs> but he, he was a walking foul and, and, and got scored over by a really big guy in, in Trevion Williams who – is let's face it. I mean, is, is even in the moments where we've seen Marcus Bingham's improvement, he's still taking the ball to the rim and falling to the ground at the slightest nudge. 
And to be a big man in the Big Ten, especially right now with the Coburns and the Travion Williams and the Johnson kids at, at Rutgers and and the, the kid at Michigan, um, you kind of have some girth. And it's that's an offseason thing that's affecting well, him. I, you know, it, it's not point, just girth for him. It's you know, I think his well, biggest it, problem. It is. It is. I think it's the the muscle, and not just the muscle, but the amount of muscle that he needs to put on to be a, a serviceable big man in the Big Ten. But beyond girth, it's quickness. He's he's pretty slow too, and I think that's the other problem too. You can't really play him at the four because he can't get out on people. We saw that early on. People would drive by him, and he gets people put moves on him in the post. He just he doesn't have great quick feet, great great quick twitch, and that sort of recovery. So you know, guys who are wiry and not built can survive if they're quick a little more. And he's not overly quick. So you're right. He has to the the mass eventually has to be there, or or he's just it, it, it's 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 just not going to happen for him, and I and I and I do wonder with him, you know, is is Izzo talk today? We're recording this on Thursday about, um, you know, a lot. He said and this is Izzo's quote: "A lot more time for Soko and Bingham." Now we'll see if he follows through with uh, Soko. Sorry, Marble. We'll see if he follows through with that. Um, what that means for Bingham, and are they sort of moving on that he has had three years? Uh, to, to be the guy, and they're not going to um, – it's not that he can't stay and, 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 and try and develop, but they are going to take a look at some other dudes now, um, it, it, sort of aware that they can't go through this again next year. And, you know, the other thing that I think – and I was thinking about this just as you were talking. It, it, I like Marcus Bingham. I think he's a good yeah. dude. I think he's a good kid. You know, I think that the, the same thing about Kithier. I think the same thing about, you know, a number of those guys that, that we've – discussed and talked about same with foster lawyer but you know there's a difference between being a good dude and a serviceable big 10 player i think that's important but this team when we talk about what this team is missing and what it's lacking i'm going back to to a cup back to that team that you were talking about the 16 17 team what was one of the things that Izzo said he needed more from miles bridges he needed him to be a jerk he doesn't have a jerk on this team there's not one guy on this team that you can look at and say, this guy is going to be aggressive, assertive, and demanding of everybody around him, and his his teammates are going to fear him and respect him. Because well, they, he's those, producing. Those, those guys are rare, though, Chris. I, I think what they need more than... than well, Miles Bridges wasn't that kind of guy, but he. my point is that he had the talent to do that. There's well, There are guys that you have some talent that eventually will grow themselves into that. You need guys- I feel like he has anybody that has the combination of being a complete jerk or being a talent where everybody is just kind of in awe of them. You, you don't need a jerk. What you need is guys with edge to me. And what, what, when, when you look at guys with edge, like I, I think if Watts can have an edge, but he's not playing well enough for it to matter, and, and, and he's just lost, so he doesn't have an edge. I think Marble is a guy who we see in brief moments. There's a guy who can have a little edge. He comes into the game sometimes when people are getting pushed around, and he's a little forearmy, you know, a few too many fouls. But he's, you know, you'll see him every once in a while away from the play, throw a forearm at somebody, you know. And I think that sort of attitude is is needed. But you're right; they don't have guys with edge. And you see, even Aaron Henry, who's the nicest kid in the world and a very yeah. analytical thinker and big picture thinker, you know, there was a moment when he got benched for eight minutes, and which was too long in that game. But when he comes back in and he catches that ball curling around and goes right to the rim, that's a man playing with an edge. If Aaron Henry could stop that feeling, about the Iowa game, yeah, I, uh, I, 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 yeah. If if if, yeah. if he could if he could do that all the time, it would raise his level and the people around him so much. Like if Aaron Henry, Aaron Henry's problem partly is he doesn't handle the ball well enough to be truly truly featured. Like you can see a turnover coming, yeah. right? When he tries so he, to he turns through. over the ball a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, and he averages he's averaging three a game right now, and that's pretty much what he's going to be. But but if he just took this sort of dog mentality where I'm getting to the rim and I'm going to turn it over, or you're going to follow me or whatever, I'm getting there. And I, I think it would put a lot of pressure on people. He just doesn't have that mentality either all the time, and that's just not who he is. And, and, and most teams, that would be fine. Like Aaron Henry shouldn't have to be an alpha dog. Aaron Henry would be an unbelievable running mate as a number two, three guy, the way he is right now on great teams. If he had, if you put Aaron Henry next to Ao, or you put him on a team with Luca Garza, or you, you know what I mean? Like if you had him as Senator Xavier Tillman. Yeah. I mean, they, they again, just, you look at those two guys, one had all American talent. The other had a ton of tenacity. Those, those were the leadership traits that Izzo's program has had for years. 
there's nobody on this team that has one has stepped up into that void, but two, I don't think has the capability to be those kind of leaders, either from a performance standpoint or from an aggressiveness and assertiveness standpoint. Even Watts, I think Watts gets in and out of his own head too much and is focused on himself and not the guys around him. So let, I think let, that's, let, you got to have that. Let, let, so let's spin it forward a little, though. We talked about you talking about the, the the three guys coming in, and we don't know their personalities, right? We don't know what they'll be in terms of uh, true leaders and all that stuff. But it'll be, and we don't know exactly who's going to be back. But you have to think there's a decent chance that Jaden Akins and Max Christie are in the starting lineup next year. And and so what will get very fascinating going forward is what does that mean for Rocket Watts? I think you know Gabe Brown is a guy who, you know, can can well they're going to lose Aaron Henry most likely. It could fit well on that wing starting, you know, with with, with Brooks off the bench. What does Watts think of that lineup and? Does Watts find a way? Because talent-wise, Watts got all the talent in the world. In a, in a perfect world, if you went with Aikens and, and, and Watts and Christie, it's, that's like holy smokes. But we all know that doesn't always translate. And and, and I don't know that that's – I really question what Watts is thinking right now and where his fit is and whether he thinks it's best for him to be there. He might. And all these kids have gone through stuff, and they, they should have the opportunity to come back. And Gabe Brown, for example, I think Gabe Brown's going to be fascinating. Because Gabe Brown's a guy who's a six-seven shooter who struggled to shoot, right? Struggled some other things too. But when you think about the non the the the, the non eligibility year of COVID, like this year doesn't count against them. Gabe Brown could play two more years at Michigan State, and he's the type of kid I think might wind up playing two more years at Michigan State, um, trying to get himself to a chance where he finally is playing at a level because it's six-seven. If he ever hit shots people will look at him differently because of his size and length and athleticism. Um, and they think of him as a shooter. So I, I'm curious, you know, I, I'm curious what the backcourt will look like next year. The front court, I think Malik Hall, the off season is going to take tremendous strides offensively. And I think defensively, he's already really good. Uh, they need a point guard to help Hauser out. I think, you know, he'll be, you know, he'll be what he is. He'll be a good player. And then the question will be at the five, what do they develop? Um, but I think what, the, the infused talent, and the backcourt will bring some life to this, and it'll just look different next year. But you guys have said all this, but you guys haven't even said the two magic words yet, and that would be Amani Bates. I think, boy, all indications seem to be he's going to reclassify to 2021, and if he actually does end up coming to Michigan State, that just throws a whole different wrinkle into everything because he's going to be a guy who demands the ball at all times, and that's just the way it's going to have to be if they want him on campus. And he does, that just turns the entire dynamic of the team around when you're you know, bringing in that high level of a recruit. You guys don't yeah. – wouldn't you guys think? And well, here's the here's the problem with that. We we still go back into the numbers game, right? You basically need Aaron Henry to leave to get to three. You've got two scholarships with Langford, and with uh, the one that they gave to Fred, to Jack Hoiberg. Um, the assumption is that you were going to have, and we talked before the season, the possibility of three guys leaving. Right. We talked about that with with Henry Hauser and Watts. There's no way that the only way that Hauser and Watts are leaving is if they go to another college program at this point. Well, same with the bigs, but somebody's going to leave. I don't think, I don't think all these guys come back. I really don't. I think there's going to be some turnover, and I, I you know, I, I don't know where it'll be, who it'll be, but I really, I would be stunned if if that scholarship wasn't there. The, the thing to me that I think is going to be interesting is to see if, uh, like for example, a, a guy like Foster Lawyer and Thomas Kithier, for instance, if they have if they're permitted two years of eligibility left with the transfer with this year, not counting as a non-counter year, if that changes some guys' minds, like for those two with, with, uh, with Bingham as well. Um, do, if I, if I know I can go say to Oakland, we're just going to use that as an example. Let's say I can go to Oakland and play two years and have a, a good run or go to Detroit and play for two years or Eastern and play for two years. That may change things. That may that may give a guy a chance to say, well, you know what? I get one extra year to to play if I can do that in the transfer. Whereas I'm gonna I might get squeezed here and, and be on the bench all day all year. Well, I don't know. It, also, it it all it could change a lot of ways because you could also if you're look if you're a foster lawyer you could look at it like, well, I, I still think I have something to give, you know, um, and if and I can help nurture a guy, I think I'm gonna be a good backup, and if I don't like next year. Then I still got another year as a grad transfer. I won't have to sit out, and I'll have another year after that. I can go somewhere else and play for a year. So it will be interesting to see what they decide. It'll be interesting a guy like A.J. Hogarth, 
who must hear this all the time. They're bringing in Aikens to be the guy, and you're this freshman. Uh, do you want to compete? You know, and do you want? I mean, it, it'll be very interesting to see um, what all these guys are thinking. I, I just don't think we we have an idea. With, with Bates, though, I mean, whether he comes to Michigan State uh, or not, I, I don't. My, 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 I don't think he winds up at MSU. Um, I don't know that he'll reclassify. The Aiken situation is interesting because obviously they they aren't best buds given what what transpired there um, at Yipsy Prep. At Yipsy Prep. And and Aikens is much more important than Bates. Much more important given the point guard position. Like if, if there is no way that Izzo and that group would go. I mean, they need Aikens to be their dude for a few years. And that's that's an argument we can have on another podcast. Well, I, yeah, not- I would I would disagree. Uh, I mean, Bates is like I understand because you're, you're thinking about you, you're thinking about length time the length of time Aikens would be in campus as well. I'm thinking, but, about, I'm thinking but, about needing a point guard. I'm thinking about I'm you, thinking, you, but, you can't but, play with a point guard. Who's more important to your program, a generational talent, one year of Carmelo Anthony, or four years of Sherman Douglas? <laughs> what a, I was, what a, you know what I mean? And Sherman Douglas was an All-American. so But yeah. people remember Carmelo Anthony because you kept, you kept the recruiting brand fresh. But if you had... I mean, that's, that's quite honestly... A, 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 and I don't... I'm not, that's not besmirching Jaden Aiken because I do agree with you that from an on-court talent standpoint year one that's more important but for the brand and Izzo was asked about that uh the other day about the brand but for the brand having generational talents that he's missed out on there's a reason that was a big story over the summer and it's because of that reason you know if all of a sudden Imani Bates either decides to decommit and try and play somewhere else or decides to just test the international waters, whatever it might be, right? There's a lot of options on the, that kid's table. Um, that's a hit. That's a big, big hit to the brand, plain and simple, especially after the Boyaki situation. But from a pure from a pure need standpoint right now with this roster, yeah, yeah it's absolutely is, yeah. is. But you also, goes back to what I was saying, you need a guy who whose talent draws attention to the other guys, and there's – there's just no one on this team who who d- demands two to three uh, sets of eyes on them. Right. So what did you guys make of Boyake's comments regarding his decision to decommit for Michigan State? It really seemed like – I wonder if he was actually watching all the games, but he, he does make – he oh. did make a great point about – he, he saw the big men getting pulled every 30 seconds if they made one tiny mistake, and he kind of referenced that in his comments too. So I just wonder if that – I don't know. I, I don't. don't I, I don't know. Someone's put that. In. It's, it seemed more like he was watching with his ears. Well, you know that's what, what I was going to say. Someone put that in his ears. Is what I was going to say. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that. You know, I mean, his recruitment was a little different because he, he, you know, it happened quickly and and he didn't have a lot of great offers yet. And and um, I don't know that. I mean, obviously, if if, if the reasons he gave are the reasons, that it's kind of dumb if if people think. But that's the same as like uh, Jabari Parker with Brandon Dawson, right? It's right. not really sensical, but I, I just don't think that's the reason. It's, I mean, it's a blow for Michigan State because I think he was a, I think you know he's a talented big guy that they were gonna, that they would love to have. Um, but I also don't think that MSU is. I mean, I, and they may go with a grad transfer if guys leave and, and their spots open. They may do some things, um, but I also don't think Michigan State. I don't think Izzo is scared to go forward with um, Sissoko and Marble if those two guys stick around. Um, I'm I'm really curious to see if, and I think Tom Izzo has watched the landscape around him now for a while. I'm interested to see if his mindset changes about the transfer portal yeah. and and all of that. Because let's face it, the guy, the teams around the country are living off that, and he's got a guy across the street that's living off that right now. And if guys are immediately eligible. With it, which it seems like that's where the NCAA is trending with this. They're going to give immediate eligibility to people that do go to the portal this year with the COVID situation. That changes the dynamic as well. So, you know, it, it's a long time between now and the start of next year and maybe even longer between now and the next NCAA tournament appearance. Um, so Izzo can say that he's not worried and thinking about that. But that's what he built his program on. You know that it's killing him. And he said that every streak matters to him. 
And it, that one matters to him more than anything because it speaks volumes to the consistency of the program that he's built. He's going to do what he can within the proper means and rules that are there to make sure that that doesn't happen again, that this doesn't happen again. Yeah, and, and you know, the other thing is, and I don't think you, I think he was reacting to the transfer thing. I was, I can't remember what conversation this was. It might have been a Q&A last May or July, whenever. He, he said to me at one point that, you know, he would have to think about numbers of scholarships he had on the team to always keep a couple open for transfers and to plan on guys leaving and a much more fluid roster if this was going to be the way it was going to go. He was going to have to look at things differently. And so, uh, you know, that'll be that'll be interesting to, to watch. That obviously can catch you in a year where you, you don't have great numbers and great depth if you do that and go that route. But uh, the, the one thing that – and I know Izzo doesn't like the, the, the culture thing of the transfers, but if you're only adding a guy or two once in a while or a guy every year, Michigan State is – while they're battling, you know, big brands for the top kids in high school – what they are as a transfer destination is immensely uh, attractive, I would think, to top mid-major kids, to kids at middling high majors that, that want to have a chance to play for something big. I, I think they're going to have a, a chance to really add in that department if they want to. So, um, I, you know, I um, – Well, just look at a team that blew them out, Minnesota. I mean, they reset their roster quite a bit. Yeah. You know, yeah, and no, that's, that's – and, they're not much better than Michigan State, but they're also thirteen and nine and sitting six and nine in the conference right now. And kids are stupid sometimes too. Liam Robbins left a Drake team that's better than Minnesota, and with him would have been—I uh, don't know if they're better than Minnesota. They're about the same as Minnesota, I think. And left, but would have been considerably better than Minnesota if he had stayed for to play in a Big Ten. Obviously, he didn't—you know—with with no fans and no, I mean, whatever. He wants to play in the Big Ten. I get that. But, you know, kids kids are going to make – Michigan State's brand is going to lure kids, uh, even if they have good situations at times, top mid-major kids who want to, uh, who, who, who want to you know, want to do something else. And so, I, you know, I, it's going to be a fascinating offseason, and we'll talk a lot about individual things. It's going to be an interesting end of the regular season here because they are in a different spot than they've ever been in. Um, and – um, they're going to be playing games is, is a spoiler. I mean, who's not still intrigued to see if they can pick somebody off who's really good? Everybody will still be intrigued about them at the Big Ten tournament. There's still enough brand. There's still an interesting amount of talent. This isn't this isn't the the Michigan State team that was running out Quentin Brooks and you know John Garavaglia and Steve Polanowski. You know, this is a um, there's still a little more talent there, and I think teams are still wary of that. By the way, um, last time Michigan State finished. Under 500 in the Big Ten, Dwayne Stevens, senior year, 92-93. And that was a team, uh, and you'll recall, Chris, that had a little of this. My senior year of high school, by the way. They, they, were, uh, they lost a lot of like, – I remember that team losing a lot of late leads, and that became their MO. And then they went in the NIT, and I think got a 10-point lead with two minutes to go against Oklahoma and lost two in the first they round. Lost. They lost six of their last seven games, including yeah, that's, their, that's only the, win, their only win was uh, Penn State. Yeah, that team lost its way out of the tournament. They were in okay shape at one point. If I, if, I, if 12 and 13-year-old Graham recovers or, uh, remembers correctly. Um, and here's the thing. We, people keep talking about maybe this is an NIT team. We don't even know if there's going to be an NIT this year. Well, in what I've heard, if there is one, it's only 16 teams in yeah. New York. And so, and it won't, the problem, the good thing for Michigan State, if they want to be in the NIT is apparently it's, and I hate this, it does not, it will not include guaranteed spots for uh, conference champions who don't win their conference tournament championship. And, if, and frankly, if I was a lower conference, the second I heard that, I'd say, we're not doing a conference tournament. We're sending our conference champion uh, because I, I hate when those teams don't get rewarded, especially after a year like this. You think about the grind of this year and to be a team that won your league, <laughs> And then you show up and have a bad day in the conference tournament, and that's it. You know, like I, I would want to reward a team that won a championship this year if I was in one of those leagues. But so for Michigan State, for the brands like MSU and Duke, and I can't imagine. I mean, Mike Shashevsky doesn't want to play tomorrow. I can't imagine he wants to play in the NIT. So I, I don't know whether these schools will want to do it. I don't know whether what Izzo will think. I think. Um, then I don't. This, the Big Ten tournament's going to be interesting too at Lucas Oil Stadium in the big. Yeah facility and no no to limited fans i mean 
let, I mean, we talked earlier in the podcast about, you know, the fact that they could go on a run and win the last seven games and how improbable that is. What if they go, what did they do manage to somehow win five games in that tournament or play yeah. themselves up down the stretch here to get past one day? Not going to do it. I mean, it's, they're not, they're, I'm, I'm not saying it's going to happen and I'm not saying it's probable, but I'm just saying it's a possibility that is there. It's not. And, However <laughs> unlikely of possibility it is, Graham, it's still something that you know, needs to how be done. No, no, and I'll tell you why it's not a possibility. What, to win, what Michigan did a few years ago was Michigan the team, and Iowa did this once too, but Michigan won four games in four days a few years ago, right, when they showed up with their practice jerseys after the plane incident. That is rare enough because I've seen it a lot where uh, – and, and covering the MAC, this used to happen all the time because you get like a desperate team that's pretty good that – the, the the fourth day, your legs are gone. So they would have this great run, and they get to the finals, and they can't hit a shot. To do five games in five days, uh, you just you, there's just no way in those last two days, that last day, you're going to have any legs. It's just, it's, it's just they and, and they set it up that way to, yep. you know. I mean, it, it's 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 just there's just I mean, I I don't know how you however would remote the possibilities, it's something that we cannot discount until it doesn't happen. Yep. Your your best way to to do that would be to take point oh oh one is still a chance. Yep, and, and and if you were to strategy, if somebody said again, like you know, gun to your head, you've got to win this tournament. What would you do strategy wise, besides winning every trying to win every game? Like if the idea was you had to win the tournament, you would have to look at things like okay, uh, Gabe Brown, you are not going to play until Friday. We're going to try and win two games without you. Uh, you know, we're going to take, we got four centers. Somebody's got to have legs left by uh, on the weekend. We're going to take one of you guys marble and you're not going to play till Friday. We, we're going to take a guard and you're not going to play till Friday. And these this guys are saving foster lawyer with the shoulder injury. That's what you do. Foster lawyer hits 12 threes and they win the whole damn thing. That's going to be the way the season ends. Foster lawyer is going to become the next Kenny going. You hated him early. You love him late. He hits 12 threes. They win the big 10 tournament. That's yeah. it. That's and that oh. that would be this kind of a year, wouldn't it? What a storybook Absolutely. ending that would be to the at least the Big Ten I think portion that's a good of the season. Storybook ending to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we check out of here, do you guys want to talk about Charles Kimbrough at all? I think that's about the only football news that has happened since we last convened. The uh, he the transfer in from Florida, I believe he's a cornerback or a safety, one of the two. Yeah, he got a little bit of playing time at Florida. Um, a lot on special teams. Uh, speed. The guy from Louisiana, New Orleans area. That's a that opens a different recruiting area. That that you know, if you can get in there and pluck some kids from LSU, you know that that's a that's a that's a, a place that Michigan State has not had many players from. But there's definitely talent down in the Bayou. And you know, again, remember Mel Tucker started and and went down there with Nick Saban briefly at LSU. So they've got some ties down there. Um, but you know, they need they need a cornerback. They need they're going to need to find that guy. To replace Shakur Brown, it gives them another option there. So this is going to be a pretty brutal stretch for the basketball team here. They got Indiana on Saturday, Illinois Tuesday, Ohio State Thursday, and then Maryland on Sunday. So that's uh, four games and eight days coming up. So yes, I don't know. What, I do not know when we will convene next, but uh, we'll probably try to convene sometime during next week, and we'll we'll see if the Spartans can pull one or two of those out and really get, kind of get themselves back into the conversation. It's going to be a rough road here. Um, yeah, yeah, there's still there's still one more game left to reschedule with Indiana as well, plus one more game to reschedule with Michigan out there. Um, so the next two weeks could very well be big, long, arduous and, weeks for them. And the thing is, you saw with Nebraska uh, in Nebraska, I was I've been impressed with their 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 fight and character a little bit. A lot, given, of, fight. A lot of fight, but you saw their legs just disappear a little bit against Maryland finally, and it was like. And that's what you're going to see, I think, uh, for Michigan State towards at some point. It, when you look at the number of games and days, it, it gets there's going to be some days where you get some heavy legs, especially after back to backers two days apart with Illinois and Ohio State. That's yeah. basically that's basically right there um, a Sweet 16. And that's why it's hard to win because it's Maryland after that, right? So. Yep. Um, so to Maryland, just like just like Nebraska had to deal with. Yeah. So you look at a game like Maryland is a game that is, should be winnable, except Maryland has some great wins and they're 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 a pretty good team. Um, and yet you will be have just you have just coming off a stretch where I mean, it's just it's going to be such a hard. I mean, and flying there, and I mean all the things that come with that. 
Well, I'll you know, ask you this, no rest, no rest time for the legs. Over under one and a half more wins the rest of the regular season for Michigan State. I would go under. That's a that's a really tough call. Um, there's there's certainly it's certainly not much more over that. I I would say that I'm just debating whether or not two wins. I mean, because I do think Indiana is is dysfunctional enough, and yeah. and who knows where you are at with the Maryland game playing is kind of a wounded animal. If you, if you don't get through yeah, I, and I don't know, I mean, I, 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 can I say push? Yeah. Two halves in a game and I can get that. I, I think one and a half is the number though. That's the right number. Cause it makes think, you think. I think so too. Cause yeah. I, I was trying to convince myself one of the Indiana games and Maryland, but then it's like Maryland's the last game in that eight day stretch. And it's just like, man, I don't know if they can do that. <laughs> they haven't played well against Indiana in recent in the yes. last year. That's what last, so that's well, not a great matchup. No. The other problem they have is that their brand it's too big. Like you don't get the game where you know Penn State blows it against Nebraska because they were took Nebraska lightly, and Nebraska's you know came in and is still fighting and 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 to their credit after that heartbreak, Illinois took Nebraska lightly and they they should have won that game. Illinois is not going to take Michigan State lightly, no matter how wounded they are, no matter how down they are, and then and in the, the matchup itself with the size of, of, of Coburn and and the just the way Illinois gets in the guards. I mean, there's just Illinois is a team that can take some moments off. They let Northwestern back in that game. And Illinois is not a team you can trust against the spread, but against Michigan State, I, it just I don't think that matchup works. Let's let's take it one step further. Um, what does Michigan do to Michigan State? Let's. Let's put and it. Let's, let's back and, and what is it? What are they? You know, and if they, if it goes poorly the first game, do they play the next night or two nights later? Juwan Howard has all the, has already said they are not doing back to backs, so I don't think you'll see that scenario. But could they play two days apart at the end and have a? But, but you know, my, my point is, is that that doesn't seem like a great matchup whatsoever right now for Michigan State, particularly if you have it at the end of this big stretch run, and even more importantly, if you're out of it. If that's what you're playing for, um, and you don't have the the horsepower at that point in the season, it could get ugly. Yeah, and that's yeah, no, it could. Yeah, and then uh, it could get really ugly. It, it could be and, an interesting. It could be because Michigan is Michigan is impressive, and they are really. I mean, what they did against Wisconsin coming off the layoff, uh, it'll be interesting to watch them against Rutgers and then Ohio State. I mean, they've got a tough stretch here, but. Um, uh, what they did in that second half off a layoff, what a lot of people haven't been able to do to kind of get it back, I think was uh, one of the more impressive impressive things I've seen this season. All right. A very spirited Spartan speak today, guys. This is what happens when we, we you go three or four weeks in between podcasts. We had a, a lot of great debate, a lot of great back and forth, and I hope the listeners enjoyed it as well. Well, you come here for premium content. You don't come here for the <laughs> the weekly drivel of other places. <laughs> exactly. All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.